another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPiella.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Just a reminder, if anybody is interested, you can download the Passball Show on iTunes. And if you do have an Android device, you should be on Google Play sometime before the end of the week. And uh, the phone line is back, so anybody that's interested in calling in, the number is 732-364-3598. So the phone lines are open. We'll take any calls on anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unify in America. A couple things we're going to talk about today. You have a press conference set for 145 today where David Wright's future is going to be addressed. And I think there is a lot more to look at than just the fact that David Wright's going to meet the media. David Wright is going to be in this press setting, which is not a surprise. Is a guy that has no issue talking to the press. He is pretty much for his entire major league career was the first guy out of the locker room and the first guy that is here to pretty much take any questions that anybody has to throw their way. So when it comes to David obviously addressing his future, which will probably talk a little bit about what's going to happen over the course of the rest of this baseball season in 2018, but it most certainly should and probably will involve what his future is going to be. Now, the reason that I bring this up and the reason that I believe, and if you looked at the title of the program, that there could be something to the possibility that David Wright may be announcing his retirement, not effective immediately. The way that you know I see it is there's a very good chance that he'll get a chance to play. He might even be activated right away. Maybe he's activated and becomes part of the Mets active roster, of course, after September 1st. Rosters expand from 25 to 40 players. So if David Wright was activated today for this doubleheader that's coming up against the Miami Marlins, which you hope the weather holds up and maybe they can get a game or two in, but not to change the subject, if for some reason they can't today, why don't you just cancel a game as opposed to postpone it? But, you know, in regards to David Wright, you're looking at a guy that obviously has interest in wanting to play. He is toughening it out right now. He's doing everything that he possibly can to get himself back on the field. And this is something that has been a compound process, something that has involved a lot, has taken an awful lot of time for him to get ready and for him to be in game speed or be at a spot where he could play in a competitive game at the major league level. But 145, the potential press conference or the press conference is going to be up and is going to happen. So what needs to be understood is that this is something deeper than just a meeting with the media to address when he's going to play again. He doesn't need a press conference with Jeff Wilpon. He doesn't need... uh, John Ricco to be there in his same press setting if he's simply announcing that he's going to play in the Mets' last homestand to end the season. He doesn't need Jeff Wilpon and John Ricco to be there while he's going to announce that he's going to be activated to play for the rest of the season. David Wright's under contract with the New York Mets. When a player gets activated from the disabled list, it doesn't deserve the press type of setting that David Wright's press conference today is going to get. So 
when we're looking at it from that perspective, there is going to be something deeper to it. Now, listen, I don't have any ins with the Will Ponds or the New York Mets or David Wright. So I don't have any idea of exactly what is going to happen. And you know what? For everybody that doesn't, it should be fair that you should make a disclaimer and say what I just said. Because there's a you know, possibility that, you know, we all have our feelings, we all have our senses of what you think is going on, but to say, hey, I definitively know this, wouldn't be fair to David Wright, wouldn't be fair to the New York Mets, wouldn't be fair if it turns out not to be true. But the fact that there is a press conference set for 145 today is a little fishy. Now, he's been working himself back into game shape, so the likeliness that David Wright's going to announce his retirement today and that he's not going to play in a Major League Baseball game ever again, that would be the ultimate shock. And I think that's very highly unlikely. What is more likely is that David Wright is going to announce that he is going to play at some point from here on to the rest of the season, maybe right away. Maybe he's active for the doubleheader today. Maybe he's going to be activated for the Mets' final homestand of the season. There's going to be another caveat there. There's going to be another but that's going to be added to it. Because to have a press setting with the, I guess, owner, Fred Wilpon probably is not running the day-to-day operations as much as his son Jeff is right now. John Ricco was probably the general manager or the interim general manager or the guy filling in for Sandy Alderson right now. So you're looking at two figures that would not be there or would not be necessary for them to be there if this was just a simple decision on when David Wright's going to be activated. Because the beat reporters are asking questions like this all the time, whether it's to Mickey Calloway, whether it's to John Ricco on the side whether it's to people in the Mets organization that are choosing to be anonymous. So if the Mets beat reporters are looking to find out when David Wright's going to play, you don't need the ultimate press setting that we're going to get today at 145. And listen, I'm interested to see what happens, but I have a feeling this is the way it's going to go. David Wright is going to announce that he is going to play at some point during the rest of the season, whether it's immediately whether it's for the Mets' final homestand, whether it's somewhere in between. And there's going to be a but there, and that but is going to be that he may be willing to step away at the end of the season. Now, I don't know how that is going to be factored in in regards to his contract, because, of course, he has two more years left. I believe it's about 30-something million for 2019 and 2020. So that, from a financial perspective, has to get worked out between the player and the team. But... I would expect David Wright to announce that he's not going to play next year. He may be announcing that he's retiring, and maybe he takes the Gilmesh route and decides that he's going to forego the contract contractual obligations that are left on the rest of his deal. Maybe he's willing to walk away, announce his retirement. Maybe the Mets are willing to bring him in to the organization in some other capacity to maybe uh, filter the amount of money that he is expected to be paid. But I do believe that there's more than just the fact that David Wright is going to play. And I, I think I think it's something that has to be thought about. And I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm not Nostradamus. You know, I don't think it's fair enough to just say, hey, this is how I feel it's going to happen. I don't have uh, necessarily enough facts in this situation to back it up. But I do have some logic. 
there's there's a whole lot of logic that I'm going to use in this situation. You don't need Jeff Wilpon and John Rico to be at the press conference if you are going to simply announce that you're going to play again. Because it's pretty obvious that David Wright is likely to play again. He's been working out. He's been playing in minor league games. He's been playing in simulated games. So he's been in a, a position where he could possibly get himself in game action. And that's what he's aiming to do. He's not just sitting here working out so he can get out of the house. He's not getting away from his wife and kids for a couple days so he can just work out and relax. He's preparing himself to play in a Major League Baseball game. So that should be assumed. You don't need a press conference to do that. So the fact that there is going to be a press conference means that this is something a little bit bigger than the time and the announcement of when David Wright is going to play in a Major League Baseball game again or the announcement of when David Wright is going to be activated and be on the Mets 25 and 40 man roster. So I do believe that retirement is a possibility right now. I didn't believe it coming into the season. I didn't really know. And I don't think there was a lot of information out there. Let's be serious. Throughout the 2018 season, we haven't gotten a ridiculous amount of medical updates on David Wright. It's not like there's been a whole lot of discussion. Hey, he could come back here. He's doing this. He's doing that. And it's kind of been kept silent. So now that he's ramping himself up, trying to get himself in the game, going to be announcing more than his field and when he's going to play, he's going to put on a jersey and a uniform in the New York Mets. But this is a discussion. Is he going to retire after the season? That we've been given to or we're privy to as information right now. This is going to be a discussion about Davis going to step away after this season, or this is going to be the announcement. Few field manager, maybe not a position that is extremely prevalent or right out there in front of everybody to know, but he is certainly for the last what, 13 years, 12 years, if you want to count the years that he's played, he's obviously missed the last almost you know three full seasons or two full seasons. You know, this is a guy that's meant a lot to the organization, and it would be very beneficial to David Wright and the Mets if he was part of the organization going forward after his playing career. Look at what Albert Pujols got with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Before the 2012 season or after the 2011 season, he signed a 10-year contract with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. You could, we could talk about how good of a contract that was or how bad of a contract that was, but what it included was a 10-year personal service contract that was from years 11 to 20. So he was essentially signing a 20-year a contract to work for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I would expect something similar, maybe not in the length in regards to David Wright, but it would be very beneficial to both Wright and the New York Mets organization to keep the relationship going and keep him as a New York Met. If the decision is that he probably can't play anymore or maybe can't play at the level that he has been at before and he's willing to walk away, then the Mets should hold on to him and keep him as part of their organization. Now, last thing, how is that going to impact his contract or what he's owed over the next couple of years? That's between him and the Mets to discuss and figure out. And maybe they have already. Maybe we'll find out at 145 today that they've figured out exactly how Wright's contract is going to be handled. Maybe it is an announcement of retirement to free the Mets from the future payroll obligation. And maybe a new contract will be signed between David Wright and the New York Mets to be a person that's going to work in their front office and is going to work for the New York Mets over the last several years. That's what I hope. And of course, I'm holding out on the 
the biggest hope, which is that David Wright is going to announce in this press conference that all of a sudden his symptoms and the issues that he's had to deal with with his injuries are by the wayside, and he's ready to go full force, not just this year, but to play the last two years of his contract. If he's physically able to do it, as we hit the halfway point here on the Passball Show, just a reminder that the telephone number, if you're interested, is 732-364-3598. That's 732-364-3598. You know, Jose says what's going on. Jose Silva, former Major League pitcher. Uh, yeah, we, have, we haven't spoken in a while, man. Hope everything's going well with you and your family. Yeah, we'll definitely touch base soon. Thanks for tuning in, and certainly thanks to everybody that is tuning into the Past Ball Show. What, whatever forum it is that you're listening to it or watching it, whether it's Facebook Live, whether it's Periscope, whether it's on demand on YouTube, um, obviously iTunes. You could uh, download the Past Ball Show on podcast through iTunes. And like I said, the phone number 732-364-3598. Please feel free to call in. Let me know what's on your your mind in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. So that's it on David Wright. Next thing we'll move on to is we're going to talk about a team that has done very well this year, but individually a player who has really had an incredible season and is starting to get um, some attention when it comes to the possibility of being the MVP in the American League. And I will, before I talk about this player, I'm going to talk about the American League MVP race because there's such a huge disparity between the two leagues this year. If you look at the top-end talent in the American League and compare it to that of the National League, it's no contest. You could could have the discussion earlier in the season about J.D. Martinez, who is likely to be the most valuable player in the American League. It might even be unanimous. So if it's unanimous, it really doesn't matter who the other two quote-unquote finalists are or the other players that finish in the top five. But earlier in the season or through the All-Star break, it seemed like it was J.D. Martinez. It seemed like it was Mookie Betts of the Red Sox. It seemed like it was Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Indians, all players that were in the discussion. Over the last couple weeks, a couple players have come to the forefront. Alex Bregman, who hit his 30th home run the other day. He hit his 50th double the other day. Has been an incredible presence on the Houston Astros ball club. A team that had, at least coming into this season, as a World Series championship team, some bigger stars. And those bigger stars are kind of taking a back seat to Bregman, who really has been become, at least this season, a better player than Jose Altuve, a better player than Carlos Correa and George Springer. And that's good for the Astros. That just strengthens their lineup and strengthens their core when they go forward. This is going to be a very good team for a long time, and they did a great job in scouting and drafting and putting all these players together. So Alex Bregman has got to be in the discussion for AL MVP. And another player that certainly deserves some credit and is one of the main reasons why the Oakland Athletics are what they are this year is Chris Davis. And is there a more unsung player in the entire game than Chris Davis? Here's a guy that for the last three seasons since he's joined the Oakland Athletics, he has hit over 40 home runs. He's driven in over 100 runs. He has had an OPS plus between 123 and 136 where it is right now. He's at about or a little bit less than 300 total bases. I think he'll pass that this year. He scores a series of runs. May not hit for a ridiculously high average, but in the day and age of the players that we look at right now in Major League Baseball, 
he is one of the top of the top. And you take Chris Davis's bat out of the lineup of the Oakland Athletics, and I doubt they'd be sitting here at 89 and 57, just one game out of the top wild card spot in the American League. You know, there was some discussion about Matt Chapman early on in the season, and he's had a very good year. His defense obviously makes his numbers permeate a little bit. His 282 average, 20 home runs, will have over 40 doubles this year. Obviously, his war number is very high, not you know, very, very much higher than that of Chris Davis. But if you look at the Oakland Athletics and you just say, if Chris Davis wasn't there, could they be at the level as they are right now? And I don't think so. So this is why Chris Davis has to be discussed when you're talking about the most valuable players in the American League. As far as Chris Davis's future, you have a guy that has one more season left of arbitration eligibility which means he could be controlled by the Oakland Athletics through a discussion between uh, whether they come to an agreement on his on his next contract for next season or they have to go to arbitration. There is a likeliness that Chris Davis will be paid pretty well by the Oakland Athletics next year. What I believe is going to happen is Chris Davis is going to be extreme trade bait for the Oakland Athletics as they get into this offseason. You're not going to hear any discussion about it right now. Nobody's going to talk about it as we sit on September 13th as the Oakland Athletics are trying to see if they can get past the, the New York Yankees and see if they could host that wild card game, which seems like a foregone conclusion that it will be the Athletics at Yankee Stadium against the New York Yankees, the Yankees are slumping. The Athletics are playing very good baseball. Maybe the Oakland Athletics could pass them and play that game in Oakland. After this season, as we get to the baseball winter meetings in December, prior to that, the GM meetings, after the World Series, Billy Bean and his staff, David Forst, they're going to be trying to figure out what the market is for Chris Davis. If you look back at the past of the Oakland Athletics, a team that traded Josh Donaldson right before he won the Most Valuable Player Award with the Toronto Blue Jays, pretty much raised some very good players over the past couple decades, not just the last couple of years, not just the last 10 years, pretty much the last 20 years. Every top player that has come through that Oakland Athletics organization has been either, either traded or has not been offered a contract when they've become a free agent. And you know my feeling on it. If you listen to the past ball show before, probably any one of the previous 357 shows, you know my stance on an organization that's not willing to invest in any of its players. They have taken that stance. They're very hardcore with it. And while I respect the decision to do that, I don't think it's ever going to set the Oakland Athletics up to where they could possibly win a World Series. What the Oakland Athletics are doing is pretty similar to what the Tampa Bay Rays are doing. Now, the Rays are doing it at the extreme level. And once again, let's make sure it's understood that all the credit in the world has to go to these organizations because they have been willing and able to do so much more with less. But when it comes down to it, when the decisions are made, to continuously move players outside of your organization that are very impactful and make your team that much better by being there, you're setting yourself to be a little bit short. And by setting yourself up to be a little bit short, 
you may create a playoff team, but you're not creating a World Series team. And if the goal for all 30 Major League Baseball teams, and eventually when it becomes 32, if the goal is to win a World Series championship, at some point you got to take that chance. Now, I respect the Oakland Athletics in 2014 who did take a chance. They acquired John Lester. They acquired Jeff Samarja. They made the moves that were going to put themselves in a position to win a World Series that year. Now, when that didn't work, they went back to being the same old athletics. And they built themselves a very good young team. And I don't care where your fan base is. I don't care how many fans you have. But it's a, it's a travesty to treat your fan base like that. To make them feel like, hey, we better max out everything that we do this year. Because things are going to look a lot different next year. Sometimes it has to happen that way. You looked at what the Philadelphia Phillies and the Atlanta Braves did a couple years back. They built themselves up, and one or both of those teams may be making the playoffs this year. The Houston Astros were really bad for a while and have built themselves a ridiculous core and expect to be in the race to be a World Series contender over the next several years and have already a World Series championship to show for. So I understand sometimes you got to start at the bottom. But when you start at the bottom and only build it up to a certain level and don't add that knockout punch or you develop players, have take advantage of them over a series of years to help you and then ship them off somewhere so you can get younger players and inferior talent at the moment and become a lesser team then, it's not fair to your fans. And I see the Oakland Athletics doing this again with Chris Davis. Now, I'm not treating Chris Davis like he's Mark McGuire. I'm not treating Chris Davis like he's Miguel Tejada or Jason Giambi. He's a hell of a player. He deserves to be in the MVP discussion in the American League. And if I was going to give you three finalists, because that's the way they do the award now, they announce the three finalists, the writers vote on the three players, obviously add some other players in, but one, two, and three is likely going to be the three players that were selected and designated as finalists. So I'm going J.D. Martinez, who probably wins the award unanimously, but Chris Davis and Alex Bregman are now my two three. It's not Mookie Betts. It's not Jose Ramirez. With all due respect to the seasons that both of those players have had. But I think this is the beginning of the end of Chris Davis's tenure and time with the Oakland Athletics. I can see the Athletics calling as many teams as possible, trying to gauge the interest. And there's going to be some teams that are going to jump in. There's going to be some teams that are going to involve themselves. The Washington Nationals. Maybe Bryce Harper is heading wherever. If it's not Washington, there's going to be a good possibility that the Washington Nationals will be interested. One year of Chris Davis, maybe he could sign him to an extension. You look at many other teams in Major League Baseball that are looking for a power bat in their outfield. I'm sure there's a lot of teams that would be happy to have a, a player that's got 41 home runs right now and could very well finish with about 45, 46 before the season's over. He's become a hell of a player. But the Oakland Athletics, at the very least, are not going to be interested in paying him beyond the 2019 season. And until they do that, I'm going to assume that this is the way they're going to operate every single time. The Oakland Athletics are not a team, and obviously their budget is a little bit differently than other teams, and I understand why they've done things the way they've done. But 
The issue that I have is there is never a player in their mind that's good enough to extend for a long time. You've seen teams, even the Tampa Bay Rays, gave a huge deal to Evan Longoria and paid him for a very long time. And I know they traded him in his contract to the San Francisco Giants this past offseason. But at least they made a commitment to one of their players and said, this is the person that's going to be the face of this franchise. And even though Evan Longoria isn't on the Tampa Bay Rays right now, his presence in the locker room has probably helped develop a lot of the younger players that are on that organization right now. And if Chris Davis is traded, that means at some point Matt Chapman's going to get traded. And if those players are moved for younger players, you could sell the fan base in a couple of years. These players will be up, but all you're really going to do is develop young players and hope that they're as good as the players that you just traded and hope when these players are up that you could possibly trade them for younger players that are going to help you. It's a vicious cycle, and it's a cycle that at some point is going to stop, at some point is going to become a failure, at some point you're going to trade a player that is very good, has many more good seasons left, and ends up impacting the team that he is traded to in a very positive way in exchange for something that is not going to help you at all. And once that happens... It's like a family tree coming to an end. It's like one generation of a family deciding not to have kids anymore. And once there's no kids there, once that family dies off, there's no more family. And the Oakland Athletics are getting themselves to a position where they, their interest is selling off their players as opposed to taking a shot at winning a World Series. And not just this year, not just next year. But you take Chris Davis and you sign him to a four-year contract extension, which you could probably get him to agree to. He's a guy that probably would be happy with a long-term contract. You may even be able to play with the terms of it to get it to a point where maybe it's a little team-friendly at some point. Maybe the whole thing, maybe the first year, but you guarantee him four years and just make him a part of your franchise for the next series of years. And say that message. Give that message out to the fan base and say that I care about this organization. I'm going to bring a, a core player here, make sure he's an athletic for a long time, and take a chance at winning a World Series, not just in 2018, but in 2019 and beyond. Now, are the Oakland Athletics going to do that? Absolutely not. I don't think there's any chance that they're going to do that. So Chris Davis, as he plays out this season, I know he's got another year of team control next year, arbitration eligible, not a free agent until the end of the 2019 season. But there's a good chance the Athletics are going to try to trade him this offseason. Is he a national next year? Could he be a Cleveland Indian next year? You know, and I think a lot will depend on what teams are looking to make a run and what teams are looking to compete in 2019. Because I'm sure he would be a very good fit in a lot of different organizations and a lot of different teams. Once again, this is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. And the number, if you're interested, is 732-364-3598 at 732-364-3598. So the last topic we're going to get into today uh, was a topic that I discussed a couple months back. But as the NFL season kicks itself off, 
you know, it's a game that obviously provides entertainment for the fans. And he said, John, why would you say something silly like that? It's not, you know, it's very obvious. It's uh, almost rhetorical in a sense, the way it's spoken. But we as fans tend to only look at the game from our entertainment standpoint. And sometimes we have a hard time defining exactly what the game means to the players that are out there. You you see players that spend a lot of time, whether it's through high school and college and develop their skills and work on their 40 times and, you know, bulk their body up and get themselves into shape and hope for the potential of becoming players in a national football league. Now, the ones that are fortunate enough or the ones that are lucky enough to get there are amongst the elite of the elite or the best of the best. So they're continuously in competition to each other, with each other, to perform at a high level, to maintain their reputation as being a top player, or they can risk losing their job or their role or their significance especially if they want to be considered one of the best of the best. And I think the game is different for players that play on the defensive side of the ball. You can look at quarterbacks, you can look at wide receivers, running backs, offensive linemen, even tight ends, and say that their focus is obviously on keeping their speed and agility up. Their responsibility is to perform at the best of the level that they can. But when you look at players that play on the defensive side of the ball, especially nose tackles, defensive ends, defensive tackles, linebackers, they're expected to do a little bit more than just be fast and agile and strong. They're supposed to, if they want to, now obviously some players are okay with being marginal players. Some players accept the fact that they may never be Pro Bowl players. Some players are just role players. But for the ones that want to be the best, the Lawrence Taylors of the world, the Charles Haley's of the world, the players in the National Football League on a defensive side that want to be immortals. They want to be the best of the best. They want to be Hall of Famers. There's only one way to do it on a defensive side of the ball, and that's to have a ferocious and tenacious attitude and to almost, as a character, character, caricature, be an evil person. And that's what LT was on the field. That's what Dick Buckus and Jack Lambert were on the field. That's what Charles Haley was on the field. They were beyond men. They were vicious people. And almost had to be assumed that they're just not nice people. Anybody that wants to inflict harm on somebody can't be considered a nice person. Now, that person might decide to donate money to charities or support causes or do nice things outside of football. But when these players are on the football field, they're expected to be vicious people, to be almost demonic in a way, to want to inflict pain on the opposition, to want to drive through people, hurt people, and end players' careers. Now, a lot of that might not be politically correct to discuss right now as the National Football League is dealing with the trauma associated with concussions and CTE. But you're looking at players that made a living and made a pretty good living and are legends and icons and looked at as immortals in a game. 
and they literally looked to rip the head off of the opposition. Buddy Ryan, who back when he was a defensive coordinator with the Colts years ago, was watching the way the quarterback was protected by his team's offense and how his offense was designed to make sure that that quarterback was protected and was considered safe when he was out there. And Buddy Ryan, as a defensive coach, decided that he was going to make sure that his goal, what he was going to teach to his defensive players, was to make sure that he disrupts the quarterback, was to make sure that his players inflicted pain on the quarterback. And because of that, you saw that great Bears defense of the 1980s. Everybody talks about the 85 Bears, probably the greatest defensive team assembled in the history of the National Football League. So players in that era, and certainly in eras before that, were not worried about a flag being thrown. They were not worried about being penalized for an unnecessary hit or a cheap shot, they were going to do everything they can to win. They were going to do everything they can to put their team in the best position to win by playing hard defense. And they were not playing flag football. And obviously the flag football era, as we see it right now in the NFL, is doing everything it can to protect its players. So there's nothing that they're doing wrong in this regard. But the new rules, the contact rules, the helmet contact rules, are going to be very difficult to interpret. They have been difficult to interpret. They will, over the course of time, be very difficult to interpret. But you're looking at a situation in the league right now which may not allow for that next Charles Haley to be that dominant and that immortal player. Now, we look at some very good players, Von Miller, Khalil Mack. Obviously, you know you look at J.J. Watt, Clowney, Merciless over at Houston, There's many very good defensive players, but with all due respect to every single one of them, I don't look at any one of them and say that's the next Lawrence Taylor. I don't look at any one of them and say that's the next Dick Buckus or Jack Lambert or Charles Haley. Because what those players had, and a lot of it is due to circumstance, a lot of that is understood because of the way the game's changed. And if you go out there and you blast the helmet off of a quarterback, you're going to be you know, given a 15-yard penalty and likely kicked out of the game and possibly suspended. Those rules didn't exist when these other players played. But also, it took a type of person to be able to play that role. Now, if perhaps an LT or a Haley or a Lambert or a Buckus you know, was a, a really nice guy, but was given a script to play on a defensive side of the ball. And this script required you to almost turn into the Joker from Batman to become the most demonic, evil person you could ever imagine and just want to hurt your competition. Not just want to tackle them, not just want to stop them, not just want to beat them, but inflict pain and injure that person. That's what these players thrived off of. And that's why these are some of the best players to ever play on a defensive side in National Football League history. So it's hard now to say, can I have an evil human being or a person that's playing the role of an evil human being? Be that dominant defensive player. 
because of all the penalties that are being called, because of the NFL's, you know, interpretation of hits to the head. But the last point I'm going to make about this is that NFL players on the defensive side of the ball should not be expected to be nice guys. Because in the height of CTE or in the height of the infliction of pain to players to a point where 10 years down the road, they can't deal with the head injuries anymore. They decide to blow their brains out. When this was being done, it was being done by people that had evil mentalities, that had intentions to hurt their opposition. And on top of it all, it was being enabled by their coaches. Buddy Ryan was instructing his players to injure other players. Greg Williams, another great defensive mind, but a person that rose to the power that he was in and has been a successful defensive coordinator for many years because of his enabling of players hurting other players on the opposition. It's not just a game. It's not just about stopping them. It's not just about getting a victory. It's about going all out and trying to hurt and destroy your opposition. That's something that the NFL is getting away from, but when you're developing the group of the next Charles Haley or the next Del T or that kid that is 12, 13 years old now saying, I'm just as fast, I'm just as agile, I'm just as strong as a young Lawrence Taylor, and that's what I want to be, he's going to have no chance to be the next Lawrence Taylor unless he goes, he, he turns full heel and becomes that demonic person, that person that wants to inflict pain on his opposition, that wants to injure the opposition, that cares so much about wanting to get through to that person, that wants to make contact with that person, smack him around and knock him out of the game. That person's path to the NFL may not be what it was years ago. That player may not get an opportunity to play at the highest level. So it's interesting interesting to see how that works out. A little recap on the show today, and I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, We talked a little bit about David Wright. Is he going to be retiring or announcing his retirement at 145 today? Um, If he does, I'm not going to say you heard it here first, but I do believe there's a little more than just the fact that David Wright's going to sit up there with Jeff Wilpon and with John Ricco and announce when he's going to play in a major league game again. I think the press conference is set up to be a little more lengthy than that, a little more deeper than that, and be covering a little bit more than just David Wright's future with the New York Mets this season. We're going to find out for sure if David Wright's going to be coming back next year. We're probably going to find out that he's going to announce his retirement and possibly take some role with the New York Mets organization going forward. Chris Davis, you heard it here, is going to be the latest of Oakland Athletics star players to be on their way out. He will be playing in a different uniform next season. If not, he'll play out his contract for one more year and he's going to leave as a free agent. I promise you, opening day of the 2020 season, and I'll go back to this tape if I'm wrong and I'll acknowledge it, Chris Davis will not be on the roster of the Oakland Athletics opening day 2020. Finally, NFL defensive players, you look at Vontez Burfecht of the Cincinnati Bengals. He's a player that seems like he's got some issues. 
maybe outside of football, but he plays a good role of a vicious defensive player that is looking to and wants to win that bad and wants to make the tackle and wants to get the stop, that he's going to go to all lengths to try to get there. May be interested in inflicting a little more pain and may want to hurt his opposition. Is that player going by the wayside in the National Football League? And if that's the case, I can't ever put a Khalil Mack, no matter how good he may be, or a J.J. Watt, no matter how good he may be, up on the level of some of those players that played in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The Dick Buckuses, the Jack Lamberts, the Mike Singletary's, the Charles Haley's, the Lawrence Taylor's. Those players played a completely different game, but also had ferocious enough attitudes that they not only wanted to stop the opposition, they wanted to injure the opposition. And they were enabled by the coaches, the Buddy Ryans, and the Greg Williamses of the world. You think of Albert Hainsworth, whether he did it on his own or was instructed to by his defensive coach, stomping on the helmets of his opposition. Not just trying to stop somebody, not just trying to tackle them, not just trying to halt the offense and make them stop and punt or cause a turnover. He wanted to end the life of his opposition. He wanted to stomp the person's heads out with his cleats. That type of player you may not see in the National Football League again. And I tell you, you may have to go back generations to see some of the greatest defensive players in the history of the National Football League. So I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPiello.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Uh, hope everybody has a good day. Enjoy David Wright's press conference. Enjoy your Yankees baseball. Obviously, you got Thursday night football today. you got the Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. So uh, good luck to all your fantasy teams. Um, tomorrow we'll do some NFL picks. So we'll do week two of the PBS picks. So God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.